We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show. It's IB Nation Sports Talk. We're up and running once again, along with Jesse Styers. I'm Sean Styers. And I mean, we've got guys in here. We've got, you know, Anthony and, and Salty going back and forth. They're taking wagers on, on when the show is going to get started. Salty's put me on the clock as soon as six o'clock ticks around. It's like patience, patience. There's you know, there's there's off-camera stuff that's got to be settled before we get these golden shows started. How are you today, Jesse? I'm doing good. I, I uh, well, I, I'm doing okay. I just got temporarily <laughs> locked out of my one of my sports betting accounts, so oh, kind of upset. I could be you know, for the best. No, I'm up a lot of money right now, so that's why they're mad at me. They know that I'm I'm getting them, but oh, you're too good. They don't want you in there because you're you're taking their money, huh? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, it's just they want me to send my ID and all this other stuff. And it's like, what more do you need for me? You have my social security that should, you know, answer all the questions that you need. So I just get a little irritated because it's like, this seems like a waste of time. You already have all the information you need. What's my picture ID going to do for you? So, yeah, you know, big, small world problems, big world problems, you know, whatever you want to call it. Work week's been grinding me a little bit, you know, picking up the slack for some other people's work. Slash doing the hard work. Oh, here we else. go. Humble so. brag. All right. All right. <laughs> Get up the slack for other people. All right. It's like us for Vince every day, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. When Vince <laughs> comes in here, he's just, you know, waiting for us to say something. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Salty wants to know if uh, Jesse's given Marcus Freeman a whiteboard for his birthday. We've got uh, birthday presents for Marcus Freeman coming up in rapid fire. He turns a ripe old. 37 years old today. Marcus Freeman, head coach of the University of Notre Dame. Happy birthday. Do you have do you have gifts ready for him when we start rapid fire? Yeah, yeah. I actually postmarked mine already. They should be getting to him as the rapid fire segment starts. Okay. All right. I've got something for him as well. We're glad to have you along with us here today. Hit the like button if you would. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff wherever you happen to listen to your podcast channels. We've already got people chiming in with letter grades for Marcus Freeman, and that's what we're going to do today. It's, um, you know, we're, we're sitting here. We're, we're a little bit past the year date now for Marcus Freeman, a little bit over a year, I guess a year and a month, basically, at this point, since he officially started, you know, a year and, and a week in terms of 
the bowl game, the Fiesta Bowl last year. So, but Marcus Freeman with uh, the end, with, you know, end result of the Gator Bowl, he's got his full year in from start to finish. Coached the team for the first full season. We're going to do letter grades, a letter grade for him today. We'll see if we come to some kind of consensus. But ESPN, did you see the grades that ESPN put out for for a lot of these first year head coaches? I did not. I had not. I did not get the chance to go through the full list yet. 29 first-year FBS football coaches this season. No surprise, Sonny Dykes, the TCU coach, gets an A. I honestly would have given him an A+. Plus. I, I don't remember seeing many, <laughs> if any. I don't think there were any A-pluses. I think Sonny Dykes deserves an A-plus going from a sub-500 team first year. They uh, nearly run the table. They only lose one game, Big 12 championship game of course, until they get to the national championship. And that's another story. And we'll talk a little bit about that in rapid fire as well. Oof, oof. You know, talk about money, Max Max Duggan. You know, I thought I thought for sure Max was going to go over 240 passing yards, but he failed me on my three, <laughs> uh, three-leg parlay last night. But Sonny Dykes gets an A. Mike Elko, the former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, got an A for his job at Duke. As well, Lincoln Riley got an A minus, and his successor at Oklahoma, Brent Venables, D plus. Whew, not a good year for Brent Venables. He got a D plus for his job. Brian Kelly, they gave him a B plus, and he was actually a B minus at the midseason and an A minus when they hired him. Here's what they said about Brian Kelly Kelly reiterated why he's one of the nation's top coaches. He led LSU to a surprising SEC West Division title, highlighted by a, a dramatic win against Alabama, first at Tiger Stadium since 2010. Season was not totally smooth as LSU stumbled out of the gate against Florida State, had a historically bad home loss to Tennessee, dropped the regular season finale to a bad Texas A&M squad. In other words, they faded down the stretch, but they still gave BK a B+. Plus. For the job down there. Um, Marcus Freeman got a, a final grade of B minus, and that came up from a midseason grade of D plus, and he was also an A minus when they hired him. And here's what ESPN said about Marcus Freeman in their final end of season report. He became the first Notre Dame coach to start 0-3, 0-2 this year. Notre Dame could have folded after the home loss to Marshall, or an even worse home setback to Stanford on October 15th, but the Irish responded with five straight wins, highlighted by a 35-14 stomping of undefeated Clemson. Freeman avoided another bowl loss as Notre Dame overcame a 21-7 deficit to beat South Carolina 45-38. So they gave him a B-. And what we're going to do, as Steve C. said, he's a former coach and teacher, so he's ready to, to grade some folks. <laughs> tonight so that's what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go through got kind of some kind of little different um different checks that we're gonna do let's let's start with this first half of the season versus second half of the season so what grade would you have given freeman for the first half of the season which would have included ohio state marshall cal north carolina byu and then stanford we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This one was tough. Um, obviously, the first things that you know are glaring when you look at that are the Marshall and Stanford losses, inexcusable losses. The Ohio State uh, loss is 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 more of understandable because you know look at what Ohio State was. It's your first game of the season. You're on the road, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that game, I don't have much problem with. I still thought the Cal game was pretty ugly. Um, and the only thing that you know sandwiched good in between there was uh, North Carolina. In BYU. So for me, starting out the season halfway point, I think I'd have to start uh, with with a solid D. I don't think it's quite near a D minus. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable going into the C range, but uh, not but, far away from one. Yeah, you know, there's a difference between a, a, a D and a D minus. But I'm going to stick with a solid D here. Losing to Marshall, losing to Stanford, um, the mess of the of the game that was Cal, which it was which was a game that easily could have been lost. You know, minus a couple things fall in this way or that way I you know that that game easily could have been um a loss as well so again the only the only bright spots to me were the North Carolina um and BYU game in that first six so solid D maybe a D plus maybe a D plus the only thing that kind of skews my opinion of Cal is obviously first time start for Drew Pine and he looked like a first time starter in the first half throwing the ball all over the place high and low and every you know wherever in between before, you know, he, he, he finally got the tongue lashing that quite honestly he deserved. I mean, do your effing job. That's what it comes down to. Right. And they gave him layups to hit and he wasn't able to hit him in the first half. And he finally responded in the second half and did his effing job. And, you know, when it, when it was all said and done, he had a respectful, respectable enough looking, you know, stat line in that game and was able to lead him to the victory, the first of the season and the first of the career for Marcus Freeman as well. And then they go on a three-game winning streak and, and, you know, Pine is looking great against North Carolina and BYU. And then everything comes crashing back to earth against Stanford. And the bottom line is, okay, you lost to a college football playoff team on the road in the season opener. We all know that that was forgivable, especially considering the fact that, that they were at least it was at least a respectable showing in that game. There was a lot of promise, but to lose to Marshall at home and then to just drop a complete clunker to Stanford at home, I've got to give them a D for the first half of the season as well. There's, there's just no way around it. But, but again, the only thing that skews it is you still had Drew Pine as your quarterback in those games that, you know, the things were starting to, to round to form, but, it gets skewed back the other direction with the fact that Stanford was a horrible, horrible defense and they were not able to put any points on the board. They held the, the deep Notre Dame's defense held Stanford to 16 points and, and Notre Dame's offense couldn't muster anything in that game. So I've got to give him a D for the first half of the season 
as well. They only ran for 103 yards per game and three per carry in the first two games. Then, you know, again, they come to life, 287 rushing yards against Carolina, 234 against BYU, but only 150 against Stanford. It wasn't really like what I would even call, you know, utilized rushing yards against Stanford. Again, when you look at the fact that they couldn't put any points on the board. So then what do you give them for the second half of the season? When, you know, after the Stanford game, things could have folded. You still had a couple of ranked teams coming up, Syracuse, Clemson. And, of course, you finished with, with USC and then finished the season. We're going to include – do we include the Gator Bowl as part of the second half of the season, or is that like extra credit points, you know, when we're looking at the grade for the for the full semester? You know what? Uh, let, let's go with the extra credits. I think that that will change – uh, my answer here a little bit and and we'll get into why but uh so we will not include South Carolina on this one UNLV very poor team played them at home you know took care of business and, and what they needed to Syracuse uh, a ranked opponent at the time very good win gave momentum into Clemson obviously Clemson was the biggest win of the season um at home Navy's never fun because of the triple option guys getting hurt assignment football still took care of business but you know almost let that one slip away towards the end uh, Boston College, that was just a complete bolo out. Uh, USC was a little underwhelming in my, in my opinion. I think uh, I, I, I'm, I think there could have been better game plan on both sides of the ball um, in that game. So for me to end the season, I'm going to give it a B plus. And then my extra credit, the South Carolina game, that's going to take him from a B plus to an A minus at the end of the season for me. So mm. that South Carolina game is what bumped him out of the B plus. Um, into the A minus because as a solid opponent, um, it is obviously kind of like like I talked about before. It's your final exam of the season. I like the adjustments they made in that game. Was, I think that was some of the better adjustments we've seen in game under Marcus Freeman since him being here. Um, so yeah, I, overall I'm going to say A minus. Uh, second half of the season was a B plus, um, and then with the, like I said with the South Carolina game, I, I, I'll round them up to an A minus, a ninety percent. You know, like if you go through, things could have easily imploded after you lose to Stanford, but then they've got UNLV the next week, so it's a get you know get better type game. It was far from spectacular, really, but they still did enough. They did their job. They beat UNLV convincing, convincingly, again, if not spectacularly. But then you go on the road, you play a, a ranked Syracuse team that was just coming off a loss to Clemson. You beat Clemson or you beat Syracuse on the road. You come back home. You beat Clemson the way they did on both sides of the ball. That was very impressive. One of the best game plans, if not the best game plan, that we saw from the entire coaching staff. And, and all three phases contributed to that, obviously being punctuated at the, you know, you get a block punt early on. And then, of course, you get the interceptions by Benjamin Morrison as well. And the pick six included. Navy was shades of the Indianapolis Colts-Minnesota Vikings game like <laughs> If that game lasts three or four more minutes, Navy might end up coming back and, and winning that game. But again, they did enough, even though the offense completely stunk it up in the second half, didn't help the defense. The defense was not a whole lot better, but they're able to win. They blow out Boston College. South or you know, USC really, you know, it's crazy that that. Drew Pine ends up having a, the best passing game of his career in that game, but the running game never gets going against what was not a good USC defense. And I mean, Tulane showed that it was just not a good USC defense and they weren't able to do enough. And then, you know, flip it around and 
and uh, Notre Dame's defense got pushed around up front. I didn't think that we would see that, but uh, and then South Carolina, you know, to overcome a twenty-one to seven deficit, and I, I think it was just you know kind of a, a really good bookend to the way things started in Marcus Freeman's career against the um, Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl a year earlier. And I mean, when you look at at how things like the way the offensive line came together, the way some other things came together. They ran the ball for over 200 yards in five of the last seven games, but again, only 66 against Navy, 90 against USC. So I'm uh, I, I'm going to stick in the A-minus range just because there were still just enough inconsistencies, but you know the, the fact that you're able to beat Clemson obviously is 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 still a good shine on things and then you finish things up with a bowl win so everybody's got to be happy about that so i'm going a minus for the second half of the season so now as we look at the entirety of this thing there are still some other things with marcus freeman beyond just wins and losses that i think play into this and we've got like some different categories we're going to go through here starting with recruiting Jess so what kind of grade do you give Marcus Freeman for finishing up with the number eight recruiting class in the country you know I want to ask you real quickly I we did you know first first half second half what would your overall grade be if if well I'm gonna I'm gonna save that until we get through all ah. these categories okay all right so okay. for me uh when talking about recruiting anytime you have a top eight recruiting class um, and, and you're adding, you know, key positions that you need. I don't really look at stars uh, because like we've talked about in the past, stars are kind of subjective to, to you know, to who's giving them and how much attention. Uh, yeah, but I think we saw getting. last night how much stars matter, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> right. Uh, so so recruiting, I'm going to go with um, an A minus. I think anytime you could be top 10, you know, in the country in, in a recruiting class, you have to stay in the A, a range. And, you know, potentially even the top 25, I think the only thing that, that doesn't give him a solid A in my books, um, and this isn't, you know, this isn't any negative feedback or anything like that, but losing out on a couple of those recruits towards the end, losing out on a guy like Keon Keeley, you know, just losing a couple guys here and there uh, ultimately kind of swayed me to an A minus. I still think it's a great overall class. I think he did a tremendous job, uh, but not everyone can get an A or an A plus, right? That's that's how, you know, A and A-plus to me is when when you're getting the guys like Keon Keeley to stay. So I'm going to go with the A-minus overall uh, for his recruiting. Here's my question. Has anyone ever seen Vince and Derek Calmer in a room together at the same time? <laughs> because Derek's comment, why grade everyone deserves a trophy? I'm convinced now that Derek and Vince are the same person, that Vince <laughs> is just throwing up Derek comments. That's his – that's his uh, – his um, – his, his fake name when he gets to the check. Yeah, his that's alibi. his alternate identity. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I give, so you said A minus. I'm still going to give him a solid A for the recruiting because, you know, again, we know who he missed out on, but I think you also have to look at what he did in the transfer portal recruiting as well that's to be true. able to go out to get Sam Hartman from Wake Forest to get an experienced receiver from Caleb Smith. They addressed two big needs right there to get a receiver in in Smith from Virginia Tech who you know had more production than any Notre Dame wide receiver on the roster this season and now you're you've got one of the one of the if not the most experienced quarterbacks in the nation 
and Sam Hartman coming in. So I think I have to include that as well. And look, I still don't hold the guy, you know, the, like go back to Keon Keeley. That's one thing. But, you know, the stuff that happened at the end of the season, that is still more related to things that were out of Marcus Freeman's hands. There was just nothing that Marcus Freeman was obviously going to be able to do, you know, to to, to solve that situation. And money talked when when it was all said and done and they can all sit there and say that it wasn't about money but it was so i i give him a solid a for recruiting for the class that he put together and i, I go back to tom lemming talking about this could be the best recruiting class notre dame has had in the last 30 years so you know we'll, that'll all play out over the next few years but at least for right now there's there's a lot of talent in this incoming recruiting class and and uh marcus freeman is the reason why and Anthony Solomon said A minus for recruiting got a really promising quarterback. Yeah, I mean that is good as well. On a positive note, had to hold out because of Keeley Bowen and Jason Moore. So, yep. So high marks for recruiting. I think we all know that. What do you think about player development? Because to me, you know, like it's tough to to name a whole lot of players who you can say made really marked improvement from last year to this year. When you look at the player development part. Of becoming a head coach now some of it is still kind of incomplete we don't know exactly what the grade is going to be you know like mayor was already great but it's fair to say guys like fosky the adam alolas the linebackers at the very least stayed flat not flat line if not you know maybe took a little bit of a step back but then you know like xavier watts made progress over the course of the season joe alt ended up being an All-American, so he made progress. Zeke Correll, you know, he improved. And then you had Benjamin Morris kind of emerge as a, as a force, you know, even though no one really expected that this season. So what kind of mark do you give him for the player development aspect? So you hit on a lot of, you know, the position groups. And I think overall where I'm going to land um, is a B- minus to maybe a solid B area. I think I'm more in the B minus range. And the way I look at it is I feel like the offensive line uh, running backs definitely improved. You know, the, the offensive line got better uh, running backs that we hadn't seen last year played and performed well in Estime uh, and digs. And then the wide receivers were obviously lacking. Um, and I really give him credit for, you know, the, the pine situation because, you know, he's, he's with the backup quarterback, they lose to Marshall. You have to develop that position if you're going to win games. Um, defensively wise, I think the defensive line and linebackers were, like you said, they didn't really take a step forward. Um, and if anything, they kind of maybe regressed a little bit, especially if you take out someone like Foskey. So that position group and him being defensive minded, I felt like could have been better. And then of course the secondary, uh, was the brighter spot of the defense. So overall, I'm going to go with the B minus, uh, for player development. I think that there were areas that, that were really good, like the secondary, uh, the offensive line and the running backs. Um, I think he got more out of pine than expected. But then I think, at, you know, some of the big play positions, your defensive line, your linebackers, your wide receiver, you saw a lack. Um, and especially the defensive line and linebackers, that was a real concerning thing to me. So I'm going to stick with a B minus in this one. Yeah, and it, really some of this, you know, again, you can say is incomplete because you really start to find out about player development as the roster turns over and you see guys that we haven't seen before. Like what, what do guys like Gabe Rubio, for example, or Tyson for, you know, what are the, what are the, some of these guys turn into again, we saw 
an example of Xavier Watts and how he developed over the course of the season, especially after they had him splitting time offense and defense at the start of the season. And he ends up finishing off starting at safety and, and playing really well. And he's a bright spot going forward. The offensive line definitely took a step forward. He went out and brought in a new offensive line coach. That was one of his biggest offensive, you know, or off season moves to get a Harry Heastan back. We we knew that 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 uh that Heastand had it in him. But you know, to me it's just it's kind of spotty, you know. But then again, you know, like Chancey Stuckey with some of these receivers like like uh Jaden Thomas emerging at times and like Deion Coldsey starting to emerge at the end of the season. The I think what clouds a lot of this is just the fact that they had Drew Pine all season. And I don't want to peg him peg you know pine for everything he but i think that they i think that they essentially put together game plans that had to protect drew pine and tried to stay away from drew pine's weaknesses and for the most part they were able to do that but at the same time we saw the limitations that came with it so some of it is hard to judge but i'm in that c plus b minus i'm kind of teetering right there with again more to be determined on the player development front as the roster continues to turn over over the next couple of years. I think that's when we'll really start to see it. But, you know, we know we know the areas the microscope is going to be held on, and it starts with the defensive line going going into the offseason now. What about the ability to adjust? I put this up here as a category because I think it's it's something that you really you don't know about a first-time head coach until you see his feet kind of held to the fire. How do you think Freeman held up along those lines, adjusting as the season went on this season? Uh, So early in the season, I thought this was kind of a deficiency of his. um, And I think that's something that got better throughout the season. And so, you know, for this one, I'm going to give a solid C plus, because I think that there were instances um, C plus B minus type area, because early on in the season, there were things uh, that I think, weren't working. I think that he, Marcus Freeman wanted this identity of being a power, you know, kind of power run team controlling the clock. And that's what we saw majority against Ohio state. And I think that that works to a certain degree, but you have to be able to take your shots um, at the same time. So I think that, you know, his ability to adjust uh, kind of potentially, you know, held them back in games like Marshall and Stanford, where I think if you have an experienced head coach, uh, they can make the proper, you know, in-game adjustments in order to win the game. So I'm going to land around a, a C plus area. I think it was kind of not kind of, it, it was pretty bad early in the season. Uh, but like I said, I thought that the, the, the way his ability to adjust, especially in that South Carolina game uh, showed the kind of transformation uh, that Marcus Freeman went through throughout the season. So again, ugly in the beginning, a lot better in the end. I think that gets you around an average of, you know, average C or C plus area. Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing, one adjustment he had to make. Now, this isn't in season, but still, like he he did have to adjust on the fly when he when he put this staff together to begin with, because he thought he was going to have Lance Taylor and John McNulty, but they both end up getting offensive coordinator positions about a year ago. So that was that was like an early adjustment that he didn't have, you know, think that he was going to have to make after he thought that a, a vast majority of the staff was going to end up being together. He ended up losing a lot of the staff as it turned out, you know, other guys for different reasons, but you know, the season started off the, the, the message that they had that, that he had was finish, you know, for his team as in, 
you know, we would have won the Fiesta Bowl if we had finished stronger. They obviously coughed up a big lead in the Fiesta Bowl. And, you know, that really quickly changed after a couple of losses, and it became more about preparation and execution. And it, it, it seemed like, you know, like adjusting on the fly like that to, to try to get the mentality right, I think can be tough. And I think the biggest thing was, as a first-year head coach, you know, there's got to be like a tendency, it would probably be just to say, hey, this is the plan. This is how we do things. You know, this is, you know, this is my plan. You know, it didn't work these first couple games, but it's my plan. So if we just stick with it, it'll eventually work. But he didn't, he didn't go that route. Instead, he was willing to evaluate, you know, address whatever issues that he saw and really address them on a week-to-week basis as needed, you know, so there was there was a sense of urgency along those lines. He was able to identify and figure out the kind of things that he needed to change as the season went on. And again, things had to change in a hurry after Stanford, and they they finished things off really strong, winning six of their last seven games with, you know, the only loss obviously being to USC and the biggest win being to Clemson, right? you know, just a, what, a, a couple weeks after the loss to Stanford. So I'm going to give him a B for his adjustments. I, I think he did a solid job. I think you're right. You know, early on, there were some questions. But again, the, we saw the adjustments over the course of a 13-game season. So I think he ended up doing a pretty solid job along those lines. Yeah, and I, I would like to amend a little bit of my answer there because I do agree with you that he constantly kind of tweaked his formula for what winning looked like. Uh, to him on a week-to-week basis and took a lot of responsibility uh, for needing to tweak it. You know, there was never, you know, this person did this or this person did this. It was, I did this. I need to change that. I need to do this in order for us to win. So I'm going to, I'm going to bump it up a little bit. You, uh, you gave me a little extra credit there. I convinced you, huh? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to hit that B minus range at the end of the day. Okay. All right. Anthony says he disagrees about what we were talking about, receivers regressing. They were uh, much better route runners this year. The main issue was quarterback play other than Styles and his drops. And, you know, and that was the biggest thing. And, and with Styles, I don't think – I'm not sure that there's probably much that a coach could do. You know, maybe a mental coach, which they didn't have. But, you know, it's like when you hear, like, things – like, it didn't sound like – Things went smoothly in practice, and we saw that kind of carry over to games for him. He's a really talented guy, but unfortunately, you know, he wasn't able to show that. He still ended up being Notre Dame's leading wide receiver in terms of production this year, but cut the drops out, and it's a lot different. But I do agree. I think it was more about who was delivering them the ball than anything, with the exception of Styles. I, I still think that that was more on him. But you get a more consistent quarterback, and those receivers are going to look a lot better, you know. So it's we're gonna we're gonna judge them, I think, a lot differently next year. Um, how about game situations? That's the next category I have up here. You know what? Like, I'll I'll let you interpret this any way you want. How do you think that he handled game situations? So for me, game situations is a lot of kind of what are you doing in the moment uh, in in order to kind of bounce back if things aren't going your way, you know, your preparation leading up to the game and you get into game and things aren't quite what you prepared for. What are you doing to make the changes necessary um, in order to win? And I thought, you know, and there's three games that really stuck out uh, where I felt like the performance was, you know, poor, obviously Marshall, uh, Stanford 
and USC were, were games where I felt like game game situations or game changes, in-game changes could have you know provided maybe a different result. And it's it's not coincidental that those are the three losses uh, that, that ended up coming out. But the way I interpret that is, again, what are you doing to change in-game to win? And I think that against Marshall – um, and, and more, I think Stanford actually is a game that sticks out the most because they had to do something to change yeah. it up and try to win in that game. And then there were other games where, you know, obviously the game plan is going as as you need. And so what are you doing maybe defensively to change things up? I guess overall what I'm trying to get to is, again, this is a, an area where I feel like he could have picked up a couple more wins had he made some appropriate game changes. So I'm going to stick with a, a C-plus uh, in this area, because I think that he did well in sometimes, but the ones that he didn't do well and really hurt him um, and, and came back to bite him at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's why I wonder, especially early on, when you look at Marshall and even at Stanford, which was still midway through the season, you've got a first time head coach who admitted, you know, you talk about autonomy for the offensive coordinator and all that kind of stuff. It admitted early on that he was giving Tommy Reese a heck of a lot of autonomy. And he also had a veteran defensive coordinator that he brought in who used to be a head coach and was coming in, had just coached in the Super Bowl in the NFL. So it, it felt like he was trying to sort of figure out, you know, how much how much of my, you know, foot am I going to put on the gas in one way or another during a game? You know, how much influence am I going to have when I need to in the course of a game? And even though you want your your coordinators to be dictating or, you know, and in, in, in calling the plays, whatever the, the plays are going to be, play in and play out. Like philosophically, if there's a change that needs to be made, if, you know, if if you're running the ball up the gut time and again and you're getting stuffed and or, or you know, if it's a certain guy, you know, that that certain player you're running the ball with up the gut time and again, you know, and of course I'm talking about the Stanford game, like the head coach needs to be able to say, look, less of that, more of this. We've got to change our course because, again, you can't just keep beating your head against the wall and expecting a different result. You know, you've, you've got to be able to make those changes, and the, and the head coach has to be able to steer his coordinators in the right direction over the course of the game. I think early on, potentially, you know, possibly just sort of figuring out who he was as a head coach and just how much he wanted to steer the ship in those different directions. And there was definitely room for improvement, but like in terms of like, you know, there were some burn timeouts here and there and stuff like that, you know, with, you know, clock situations, I felt like end of game situations were, you know, were handled pretty well. You know, you didn't see, you know, a whole lot of head scratching questionable type stuff whether it was into the first half, into the game, you know, any of those kind of things, you know, the scan offense, that's where things kind of came, you know, like if, if anyone was going to really nitpick what was going on with the offense, that's the biggest thing. Personally, I think we're going to see less scan offense next year because you've got a veteran quarterback like Hartman, again, assuming he's the starting quarterback, he's, He's a guy who's going to be able to stand at the line of scrimmage and read the, you know, make pre-snap reads and all those different things, make pre-snap adjustments as a veteran that young quarterbacks like they had this year were unable to do. I think the scan had more to do with who the, you know, who the who the signal callers were out there on the field. So I'll still give him a, a B minus on this. There was room for improvement, but again, I felt like 
there was there was improvement as the season went on with a first-time head coach figuring out who he was. Final category for tonight, handling pressure. And, you know, pressure comes at Notre Dame in all shapes, sizes, forms. Um, you know, like the press conference is kind of the, you know, the first place I think you see it because you go 0-2 after you've already coughed up a big lead. You know, everyone's willing to kind of catch you some slack and, and give you a mulligan after the Fiesta Bowl situation, because you inherited a team, you're, you know, you're putting together things on the fly. You don't, you know, you don't have the, all the guys who you think are going to be on your staff. But then when you start 0-2 with a clunker of a home loss to Marshall, the pressure can crank up pretty quickly. So what do you think about how he handled the external pressures this season? Uh, for me, this is going to be his highest, his highest mark or highest grade. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards an A or an A plus in this area. I feel that Marcus Freeman was calm and cool under all pressure. Um, and every situation, it seemed like rather than rather than deflecting, he just kind of absorbed it uh, and, and didn't really, you know, get, lash out, get angry. It was always a, how can we positively, you know, spin something like this? Or how can I, you know, be accountable for this? So I thought that he handled the pressure great. Um, and again, I, I, would, I, I would give it his highest grade, his best attribute uh, this season as a first-year head coach. Yeah, I mean, you know, he never pointed fingers, never made excuses. You know, again, the questions got tougher after you start off 0-2, which is an 0-3 start to his career. You know, the questions turn into basically, and you heard kind of some of this, are you the right job, you know, guy for this job, you know, that kind of thing. But he never lashed out, never pointed fingers, never threw players under the bus. You know, it was never, you know, going nuts on a player for making a mistake. There was still, you know, a lot of accountability I felt like. So I give him an A for this area as well. For a guy who was really put under that spotlight for the first time ever, again, as a head coach at Notre Dame, to, to, to first time head coaches at Notre Dame have not fared historically well. Now, again, there's still a lot more story to be written, a lot more chapters to be written for Marcus Freeman in this thing, you know, other than one year, but at least for this year, because the chips got you know chips chips went bad in a hurry and i think that he held up well so i give him an a for that are there any mistakes that he made this year that you would say he absolutely cannot make again next season yeah this one's kind of tough and i i looked at it as more of like rather than getting like deep into like the you know the very specifics you just can't to me you can't make the same mistakes um again that you did you know this season and i know that's a really simple answer but it, the, the thing you can't do at any job or, you know, any players, you can't repeat the same mistakes again and again, or else you're going to, you, you haven't learned essentially. So if you haven't learned, then how are you getting better and not making the same mistakes again and again? Um, I would say that the, the number one thing for me is the, the ability to adjust more quickly, I think. And that that's in terms of a game to game basis and a, and a, you know, long-term season basis. So, I would like to see a quicker turn and that's not to doubt yourself at, you know, quickly. That's just recognizing things are going wrong and what you did to prepare isn't going to get the job done. So I would like to see, you know, the, the, the number one thing I'd like to see is correcting his course at a quicker rate uh, next season. Yeah. And I mean, the, the biggest thing that stands out are 
you can't lose games that you're supposed to win. Right. Because exactly. You know, and I mean, I agree with the things that you're saying, but like Michael, where did it go? Michael said roster wise, this team was 10 and two. It wasn't a 12 and 0 roster to begin with. And with the quarterbacks, it, it probably wasn't, it would have been really interesting to see a Tyler Buckner led offense throughout the entire season. And, you know, even though he, you know, he lost that game to Marshall as well, would it have made a difference against Stanford? Would it have made a difference against USC? I think a lot of people think so, assuming that he continued to improve. And that's the biggest thing that you lost from this. And, and really, it's the biggest reason that Sam Hartman is now on this team as well. Because if you had a full season of Tyler Buckner to evaluate, there's a good chance if if he finished the season strong, you know, and continued to, to get better, and they finished with at least the same record with Tyler Buckner as the quarterback, you've got a lot better idea of what you've got going forward. If you feel confident, then he can be the guy going forward. But you didn't get that season of development. It went to Drew Pine, and now Drew Pine is someplace else. So, um, but you can't you, you can't lose those games to Marshall and Stanford. That that's what separates teams from you know this would have been at least a new year's six team this year and in two years if you're 10 and 2 if you finish the season 10 and 2 you're probably going to be a college football playoff team with a with a 12 team expanded field so you got to win the games that you're supposed to win you can't be losing can't lay major eggs to marshall and stanford you can't get upset like that so that's that's the biggest thing to me is you've got to show that you can take care of business in the games that you're supposed to take care of and not and not just show up for the big games because they were competitive in the big games and they won a big game, but you can't just show up for those games. You got to show up for all the games. So end of season grade, Jesse, Marcus Freeman's first season. We've seen a lot of different people throw up some B minuses out there. What say you? What is Marcus Freeman's grade? his first season as head coach uh, i think the regular season again is a c plus uh, overall c plus uh that extra game that bonus against south carolina uh really to me showed some growth in some areas that i felt like he lacked in throughout the the, the duration of the entire season so i'm going to end up uh with a b minus honestly i think that's a, a good solid healthy grade um you know the the marshall and Stanford games are really what's knocking him. I, 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 the USC game does hurt him, in my opinion, because, again, of, you know, how they came out um, and how USC kind of came out. Uh, so for me, I'm going to end up with a B- minus because USC is a game that had a, the Heisman quarterback at the end of the day. It's a very talented team. They were one game away from being in the playoffs themselves. So you can't knock him too much for that. I just would have liked to see – a better overall performance at the end of the day against USC, especially considering it's the last game of the year. It's your big rival. There's a lot of implications. Uh, so I'm going to end at a B minus for Marcus Freeman. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. When, when you think about it, you played against two Heisman trophy finalists this season in CJ Stroud and Caleb Williams. You played against a Joe Moore award finalist USC, even though a lot of people thought obviously that Notre Dame should have been on that. I think if Notre Dame had, had started off at probably week seven and the offensive line played like that all year, they would have been. And, you know, realistically, they've got a great chance, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to be a finalist for that award next year, but they weren't this year, but you know, they, they, they played 
a great schedule. We saw good adjustments from Marcus Freeman, again, from start to finish. The fact that they were able to beat U.S., or not USC, but Clemson, you know, that that swings things. If they don't beat Clemson, we're having a lot different conversation about this season. Yeah. And if they're not able to finish off the season with a win over South Carolina, we're having a lot different conversation about this season as well. It would have been a lot more sour if you don't win those two games. So I'm just sliding in a little bit higher than you at a B minus. I, I, I'm just touching B minus because I think that there was enough of a growth curve and a learning curve for Marcus Freeman to, you know, from where they started to go eight and two with the backup quarterback and then to finish things off with the guy who was the starter at the start of the season and to be able to come back and win the Gator Bowl against a good team, a, a South Carolina team that beat Clemson and Tennessee in back-to-back weeks. I'm 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 sliding him up to a B minus for the season. Steve C said we didn't agree much on grading thoughts. Uh, Jesse is a tough nut to crack, and it's it's kind of funny because I was a little bit more loose with the grades today, and I am a notoriously <laughs> tough grader. So, and Jesse was the tougher grader today, and. You know, Things for the got people real who today. say, well, all we do is agree on everything, we didn't necessarily agree on a whole lot doing these grades for those categories tonight. Yeah, and if uh, just wait till we get into this rapid fire, because I know that you pose some of these questions and they're not going to make me happy. <laughs> and that's why we did them. <laughs> uh, Michael said, eight and four is what a tough schedule first year head coach and no quarterback. I'll take eight and four. And I mean, you know, again, when you think about it, first-year head coach, you knew he was going to make some mistakes on the job, and to play two different quarterbacks, including the backup, for the bulk of the season, managing a whole new staff, learning all these things on the job. You know, that, again, that's why I, I have to bump him up a little bit to a B minus. I've I've got to get him out of. The average rate it's is is eight and four going to be acceptable going forward absolutely not but for what what everything how it all presented itself this year i'm i'm willing to give him a b minus because of the improvements that he was able to make over the course of the season and just like a lot of people i'm concerned about the defensive line as well but like anthony said a high-end quarterback that can put points on the board relieve some of the pressure on the defense because I think, you know, like Drew Tranquil tweeted after the, the semifinal, offense wins championships in college football. <laughs> I think we saw that last night.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.